Hi, this is Jim Barton, and I'm here with... Reverend Abigail Conley. And this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. So today's topic is um, sex and power in the Bible. And um, one of the things that I want to note right at the outset is that we're going to focus a lot on um, narratives that deal with this topic. And most of them seem to involve women using... Um, sexuality or sex for a purpose other than reproduction or sexual pleasure. Um, but I think there's some reasons why you don't have as many stories about men doing that. Um, and largely it's because in the Bible the patriarchy is strong, right? And so we have, well one thing is we're going to talk about rape in another episode. And that's um, an example of where men use sexuality or sex or whatever you want to call it to exert power. Um, and then frankly we have... Um, the um, just the patriarchy in general where we treat women as property and we have these virginity codes I mean all that is about um, sex as a mechanism of controlling women I don't think people know everyone that in Numbers chapter 5 there's a um, this ordeal of the bitter water is essentially a way that if you think a woman's been cheating on you you can force her to have an abortion by having her drink this bitter potion and if she's been cheating on you then she will abort the baby now, query how effective that is, fine, but it's, it, it's, it's a weird um, sex-based torment that they have codified in the scripture. So that's a little, I don't know if it's different, but it's just that's where we get the examples of male patriarchy. And then, Abby, you want to talk a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Matthew 5.27 as a way that we see yeah. Jesus counteracting that. So... In all of these stories where women are somehow abused and coerced through power, um, one of the things that is always at play is that sex leads to children and children inherit property, so you need to make sure it's actually your heir that um, receives the property. And with that, I would also note that just from a scientific perspective, it is believed to be an evolutionary benefit that young children tend to look, look more like their father. Uh -huh. And that this is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is how you get people to adopt this offspring and believe it's actually theirs. So that aside, um, Jesus actually, in something totally unrelated to sex, because Jesus says very little about sex, actually, um, does talk about oaths. And Thank you. That's it. Thanks. Um, and making oaths and what that means. And so... In the whole conversation, he says, you know, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth, don't swear by anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that comes as this admonition for the way that it should happen, that somehow people should trust each other, they shouldn't demand extra evidence. But in a world where sex and power are so interrelated, we especially live in a culture that needs to learn to honor a no. A yes is a yes, and a no is a no, without explanation, without defense. And, you know, we're talking about this in a week where one of the news stories was that a woman was punched unconscious because she said, I'm not interested to a guy. Yeah. So that's pretty antithetical to Jesus in a few ways, mm -hmm. but also a very easy way to say, wow, when we're talking about consent, this actually matters. Right. That Jesus is sort of straightforward understanding of yes and no actually supports the idea of consent. Right. And that's interesting. I think that's a good point. I missed that, but I think that I do think that's a place where it comes in. Um, so with that sort of uh, 
uh, prologue, I guess. Um, I did want us to talk about some stories that involve um, particularly women using sex to achieve a, an end. And the first is, I wanted to talk about um, two characters, Esther and Jezebel, right? Right. And one of those we very much hear as a good woman, as someone, a heroine that we should talk about with Esther and Jezebel is absolutely a slur for a woman. Yeah. And a feminist website. Right. Or a feminist blog. Right. Taking it back. Yes. So, um, so first off, both Esther and Jezebel are marry a king mm-hmm. and they worship a foreign god. Right? That's fair. Right. Because Esther worships Yahweh. Jezebel worships Baal. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about whether Baal is really a foreign god, but the story we have now is that Baal is a foreign right. god. Both um, women are um, described for their physical beauty. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's this whole thing about um, Esther has this long period of where she's like spiffed up so she can go in front of Xerxes, right? right. It's very nice. Yes. And, beauty uh, treatments. Beauty treatments. Ancient called. beauty treatments. And then Jezebel, they talk about her painting her eyes. And then now that's later in the story. But I do think you do hear about it, if you're if you describing a woman as a as a Jezebel can mean that she's like made up. Right. They, they use that in in uh, Eastern Kentucky as a as a expression. Maybe. Maybe. Not the, My not mother the, has. It's not the tip better. of your tongue. So this is one of those things where it's like, well, it's fine to just call a woman a whore there. So, um, <laughs> Fair enough. That's, that's a different problem. Um, in both cases, there were people who were opposed to this queen, mm-hmm. right? Jezebel was opposed by Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. And um, Esther was opposed by Hammond, although, I mean, he more opposed her people. Right. He opposed her people, and he also she also has somebody... From within the Jewish faith, saying no, no, you need to do this. Right, right. Like, go marry the king. You've, you're here for such a time as this. And that's her uncle, uncle. or yeah. yeah. So um, okay, um, there's a plot to destroy their people, mm-hmm. right? One by Hammond, the other by Elijah. Um, then, then, and then it just splits off at the end. Right. Elijah calls down the fire kills all the prophets. Jezebel gets thrown out a window, eaten by eaten dogs. By dogs. <laughs> Esther is queen and the people rejoice. Right. So, their stories are pretty parallel to the very end and then it turns out the one who's on the side of Israel is the good one and the one who's not is the bad one. Right. Alright. So let's be clear that that's not an unsurprising or that's not a surprising turn of events in that, you know, Israel is good, the other is bad. What I think does matter is the stories run parallel but one of them becomes this absolute evil and we don't talk about Queen Esther that much mm-hmm. in Christian tradition I mean I was in college before this story was ever like majorly talked about in a fundamentalist tradition interesting it's a whole book right and this was around the time the book came out and those mm-hmm. things but this was like this was new information no I mean the book of Esther is a whole book right like the book of Esther is a whole book a whole book, book of the whatever yes, yes. What is it, 88 books of the Bible? Or is it Keys to the Piano? I can't remember which. That's 88 Keys to the Piano, 66 books of the Bible. Fair enough. <laughs> so, all right. But Esther is... It, now, I will say, I'm not so... It's not perfect in that, like, Esther's power is this... A little bit of, like, manipulative power. It's not direct power. Right. But it's certainly 
a way that women through time have expressed exercise power. Right. And in churches where women are not ordained, do not mm-hmm. fill particular roles, like that becomes that um, inadvertent power becomes a very real player in everything. And one of the problems of kind of changing systems is, well, the system is reliant on this indirect power. Right. When you move that to direct power, the system doesn't know what to do. Right. So this is a real kind of undercurrent of a patriarchal world. My grandmother was fond of saying that women had more power before women's lib. Mm-hmm. Now, I think she was wrong. Right. I think the whole, like, having to be married and her living in poverty because she was divorced is kind of evidence that's not the case. Um, but whatever. That's, that, is, that was her perception based on this idea. Wow. So, Okay. But let's talk about two other examples, which are women now in the battlefield. So before, that was political. Mm-hmm. Um, Delilah is a woman who um, um, Samson, the hero, falls in love with. Mm-hmm. Like three times she tries to kill him. He's really stupid. So Samson I, is a dumb yes, guy. When I teach Samson to little kids, I always tell them, Every story you're about to hear, you know how like so many times you say, be like this person in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Do not be like Samson. <laughs> right. Samson is a lesson of what not to do. You Here's, need to know the stories, but no. Here's Samson. Samson stayed with a woman who tried to kill him three times. Don't, Don't do be that. like Samson. Right. And if it's obvious, which it was, mm-hmm. really, come on. Like, and then he tells her the truth. Right. And she don't cuts off his hair. People. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of don't be Samson. Right. And um, obviously she's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, um, although the name Delilah is just so pretty that it seems to like follow around in our culture, I think it's very interesting that Delilah actually still hangs out right. in uh, pop music and stuff like that. There's a song, the White Tees have a song. I think. Hey it's there, called, Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, less known, I think, is Jael, who um, is on the Israelite side. You want to tell the story right. of Jael? So I love this story. Yeah. So Deborah is prophet, judge over Israel. They're getting ready to go to war. She um, tells the general of their army, Barak, that they need to go to war. And he says, I'm not going without you. And she says, okay, then your enemy is going to be given to a woman. And he says, I am totally fine with that. And so as the battle... Barak was woke even then. Right. Barak is like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. No problem. Go for it. So... um, after, as the battle is raging on, the other general, Sisera, realizes he's going to lose. And so he runs away. And he goes into um, the tent of one of his friend's wives, J.L., thinking that he'll both get some food, some rest, and maybe a little something else. So she right. invites him in. She lulls him to sleep. And then she drives a tent peg through his head. Right. So there's a tent peg driving through the temple. That's uh-huh. a, That's the conclusion of that story. Right. That, it takes a turn, as you will. It takes a turn. <laughs> and I would also, like, when I think about the force to even, like, bust a skull, I'm like, let's be right. clear, we are not talking about some wimpy, you know, mm. wallflower woman. Right. We're talking about, like, hammering. Right, right. Yeah. This reminds the they asked um, Dick Armey during the um, Clinton impeachments if um, his wife would stay with him had he done what Bill Clinton had done with Monica Lewinsky. Mm. And he said... If I had done that, my wife would be standing over my dead body asking, how do you reload this thing? <laughs> Which was a perfect political line because it got to use guns. Mm-hmm. It got to attack Hillary Clinton indirectly. It did all the things he wanted to do. Right. But it's also very clever. Yes. So, okay. So, 
similar, right? Like Jael is good. Right. Delilah is bad. Right. Um, is it fair to say that the biblical authors don't seem to have a problem with women using their sexuality to accomplish God's purpose? Is that fair to say? If it works for Israel, yes. If yeah. it works against Israel, no. Right. And so, but Delilah is not bad because she uses her sex. Right. Delilah is bad because she's going against God's person, Samson. Right. And Samson's a little stupid for falling for it. And Samson's, yeah. And Jezebel is bad because she's leading the people away from Yahweh. Right. Not because of the mecha, not because of the way per se. I think that I think we can say that. I mean, I think these other stories are pretty. I don't think we're going out of our way. Well, let me ask you, what do you think? Is it, are these a fair comparison, or do you think I'm stretching to make the comparison? I think they're a fair comparison. I think in in the context of scripture, they still lift up the problem of woman as seductress because this is yes. still this is still the ongoing narrative that woman is seductress and this is a problem and it can be used for good to subvert systems, but it's not. It's not purely an act of power. So, I know a person who was in the legislature, and she reported to me that when she needed to get something from a handful of Republican legislators, she would wear a low-cut top and go to their office, and then often get what she needed on some bill that she was supporting. Now... Now, I've yanked this out of the ancient biblical times. Right. It's not 12 months of beauty treatments and then getting King Xerxes to save your people. Now I'm talking about, you know, 2014, trying to get a bill passed. That's a good bill. Let's assume it's a good bill. How do you feel about that? That still makes me feel a little dirty. (laughs) I would much prefer the, like, you know... When Hillary Clinton's first bid for presidential nominee, and everybody called her a bitch, yeah. and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did the yeah, yeah. bitches get things done. Bitches get things done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bitch is the new black. Mm-hmm. I'm a bitch. I'm like, yes, that is where I lean. Make her, make him terrified of you. Right. And you know, it works out. In conversations that you know happen at my house with a man who is mostly, um, mostly pretty woke on feminist uh-huh. issues and those things and occasionally I have to tell him something but for the most mm-hmm. part his answer is like well if the women of the world just agreed that men would not get sex until these issues get fixed mm-hmm. it would get fixed really quickly there has been in various times a sort of Lysistrata moment mm-hmm. right and that would be that's another example that's not I don't know if there's a scriptural example of that but that's another example of you know um, using sex and power mm-hmm. um it feels maybe less icky right. than showing cleavage to get a bill passed. Right. Um, or the although, sleeping your way to the top. I mean, Or the, sleeping your way things... to the top, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I feel very conflicted about that because I feel like exercising power in that way promulgates the patriarchy. In other words, it, for the woman behind you, mm-hmm. it's not very helpful for the woman behind you to do those things. Right. I have a hard time begrudging someone. I mean, the argument is those old guys in the Arizona legislature were going to be looking at her chest anyway. Right. So she used that thing that was going to happen anyway to get good bills passed. Right. So, I mean, I don't think the biblical authors would have a problem with it. I don't think they would either. 
I also but I don't know think what it's I think 2019 about it. and That's right. we, we can, should have better should options. move on a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do think it's fair to think about what's coming behind you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in a profession where if there is a female pastor that you meet who's been in the profession for more than five years who does not have a story of sexual harassment from right. her parishioners, mm-hmm. like, find her. Because that's an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> um, this is just kind of the reality. So I don't think continuation of those systems that lead to harassment that expect objectification ever help in the long run. Right. What do we think about these stories making it into the scriptural story when we did have a, a you know, I mean, all the priests were men, the, all the rule, monarchs were kings, there were no queens who, mm-hmm. I don't, no, there were no queens of Israel. Right. Um, how did these stories get through? So I think one of the things that is much more consistent in the Old Testament is, you know, there are the stories that are created around identity, but they don't get cleaned up a lot. Yeah. Even the stories of the monarchs don't get cleaned up a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, King David has issues. King David doesn't get to build the temple. Right. I mean, every single one has some significant issues. And that lack of kind of cleaning up and saying, this is what, you know, this is what we expect. Mm-hmm. I think that is reflective of a people who are comfortable with being broken people. I mean, that's one of the confessions of Judaism and Islam, or Judaism and Christianity, that we need help. And so they let this story come through that's maybe even inconsistent. Right. So maybe even maybe there would be some, maybe the authors, and and particularly the hearers of the stories, would feel conflicted about this. I think so. And I mean, clearly they're, they're also not sure, you know, they're having the same problems like, well, we say this person won because of Yahweh. Well, clearly, this person won this other time. So how does this work out? Right, right. Like, their own story is creating conflict. So, of course, it's going to come through, well, this is weird. But this yeah. is also reflective of the world we live in and how it works. Right. All right. So now let's talk about a very specific um, example of this issue, which is a different way of looking at power, which is prostitution. So... First off, prostitution can be, we can think of prostitution as victimizing the vulnerable. Um, um, Miguel de la Torre, who we've talked about fondly, um, says prostitution is immoral not because it involves sex, but because it relies on exploiting the vulnerable um, women or men who exchange their worth and dignity for a few dollars. Now, tied into that is the idea that maybe sex is different, and if you're selling sex, Mm -hmm. that you're necessarily selling your dignity. Right. Well, that's a weighted thing. The other side is, what do you say, sex work is work, right? Sex work is work. And people deserve to be paid and protected in doing that work. Right. I think anytime that conversation comes up, it's like, well, we assume that this is work people would want. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think a work that is inherently related to, you know, taking off your clothes, which is a source of shame and vulnerability in our, our culture, yeah. is the type of work most people want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I work really hard to try and figure out those things because it's like, yeah, I don't know that anybody wants to be a prostitute. I don't right. think that's an aspirational career. There are plenty of people who do it because they realize, oh, this is easier than... That's what makes sense. Right. And this is easier than the thing that I was going for. I mean, I don't know how many people want to be an insurance claims adjuster. You know what I mean? Like, like right. We do all kinds of stuff that maybe right. we don't like when we're yeah. young. We didn't necessarily... Yeah. Well... 
All right, so this is, I did, a, you know, we did some research on the, on the scripture. And first off, we have Judah, who is the uh, oldest um, son of, of Israel. He's the, the first of the uh, child of, of the 12 um, tribes. The Israelite spies, when they're about to invade um, Canaan, mm-hmm. and Samson, who, good or bad, he is a hero, right. all visit prostitutes. And so, and then, I don't know if there's anybody keeping score at home, but it's Genesis 38, 15 through 16 is where Judah does it. Joshua 2, 1 is where it talks about the Israelite spies. And then Judges 16, 1 through 3. Now, one thing I think is really important about this, because we do talk about, at least with Samson, you know, we say, you know, don't be like Samson, right? Right. Um, The other two, um, Rahab and Tamar, are in the line of Jesus. Like right. you go to Matthew uh, chapter one and you read the genealogy of Jesus, and they're some of the few women that are mentioned is Rahab, who was a prostitute, and Tamar. Who, now Tamar was just pretending to be a prostitute, right? Because the Bible overall seems to have no problem with visiting prostitutes. It has a, mm-hmm. seems to have a problem with being a prostitute, mm-hmm. which is different with Rahab, right? Um, because Rahab, um, one of the you know things from my more conservative background, they said is, oh, she's a priestess in a temple cult. She's mm-hmm. not just a prostitute. Yeah. But to the ancient Israelites, she looks like she's a prostitute because she has sex with people for money in a professional setting. Um, but again, I think that then she would be a priestess who is also a prostitute. Right. Like Tamar is pretending to be a prostitute. Right. In pretending to be a prostitute, she has sex with a man and takes money for it. Right. And on a... I think that means you're a prostitute. Right. Like... <laughs> right. And on a flat reading... Like you're no longer pretending. Right. And on a flat reading, too, like Rahab's a prostitute. Right. Like, if we don't get nuance, if we don't anything, she's a prostitute. Okay. Um, she also somehow benefited Israel. So this becomes... And led thing. to the birth of Jesus Christ. Right. She saves the spies. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story is, like, they're the spies. They come into the land. They end up in the city. They get trapped. And so she lets them hang out on her roof and yeah. then sneaks them down the outside wall. Right. So also... Um, Jesus, and we talked about Tamar before, so I don't, I don't know if we that's the one where. And so, um, Jesus has a, in general, sort of dines with prostitutes and tax collectors, mm-hmm. and, and seems to, that seems to be an important theme of Christ's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also has that scene in Luke, and it's different in different Gospels. In Luke, it is a prostitute who comes and anoints his feet with the oil and. and and I don't remember which does which, but you know they're like, oh, you should know she's a prostitute. Yeah. And he says, you guys all suck. And as a matter <laughs> of fact, the tax collectors and the uh, prostitutes will get into heaven before you. Now, it's worth noting that in the um, in the narrative that he gives, he talks about those who are forgiven much will be more grateful. Mm-hmm. And so he does essentially say she has a lot to be forgiven for. Right. And by saying even the prostitutes. And the uh, tax creditors look at it. That's even. There's yeah. a little even. You know, like she's a, she's one of the good ones. Yeah. And so it's it's a pretty back. Even that compliment. guy who bought, voted right. for Trump will get it. That, to yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's right. That's not endorsing Trump. Right. And we did have it. You mentioned already that priests can't marry prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if their daughters become prostitutes, you take the very reasonable step of burning them alive. Right. So that's Leviticus twenty-one seven through nine. That's pretty anti-prostitution, yeah. but it's just for, that is it is specifically for them, and then we have um, 
in Proverbs, so so it's, you make a good point that like that in a, particularly about the priest's daughter can't be a prostitute. In Proverbs, it, it, it talks about not being prostitutes, but actually it really talks about not going to prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Like Proverbs seven is all about now that's the quote adulterous woman, but um, I, I you know um, she's it seems like she's a prostitute. People go to her and they like right follows him off. But in that case, it's the it's the John who Proverbs is condemning, right? Not the prostitute, right? Because right? the Proverbs is saying because you are Lord and you have all these, yeah, yeah. and wasting your money. Right. There's, a little, there's a little of that, like frugality, almost, which is a little hilarious. Right. Um, and I'm I, I, I'm sorry, I put the the tax collectors and prostitutes is in Matthew. It's in, in Luke. He says that he tells the story of the of the who has the debt. But it, but it, you know, um, so. Here's the problem, though, I have with turning to the scripture for this. There's nothing in here about protecting the vulnerable. Mm. That's my, honestly, why my concern about prostitution, and I actually, I don't know what I think about whether it should be legal or not. I kind of, I could probably pretty easily be convinced it should be legal, but there's a lot of stuff that's legal that I don't think is good. Right. And I mean, that's the same thing where I'm like, in this whole exchange, I don't see that, like, criminalizing the person who is the most vulnerable in this situation continues to do us any good. And I certainly would be in favor of making enforcement against the Johns Mm -hmm. and the pimps rather than against the the prostitute, because I think that's where the crime is being. The exploitation is happening. Right. Prostitution is a weird thing where if you justify it because it is preventing the exploitation of women, then you are arresting the exploited. Right. That doesn't make sense. Right. Um, So... Like I said, I could be moved to think that, that we could legalize things, um, but I think it's not good because I'm worried about the exploitation. Just like I don't think a worker should be able to have the, quote, right to make less than minimum wage. Right. I, I, and there would be workers who would be willing to do it. That's why we have to have a minimum wage, right? And so, um, but that's not addressed in here. Right. And um, the people who are, um, who are, think that I'm being prudish, with uh, this idea that, that sex work is work and why are you putting your, your bullshit Puritan values on it? Um, women should be allowed to use their bodies and, and make profit off it or do whatever, they, like, they, like a man uses his body to make profit in all these circumstances. The pro, if you pro-prostitute, the more um, accepting of prostitute scriptures are also not about that. They're not about it. There's no, no empowerment of women in these in these in these stories from Judah or Israelite spies or Samson. What I think is is actually the more interesting thing is that like <clears throat> prostitution exists. That's just kind of the the one of those things where yeah. it's like this isn't the thing we get rid of. This isn't the thing. <clears throat> excuse me. We're fighting like prostitution exists, and I would say that when we talk about subsistence cultures and those things, of course prostitution exists. Yeah. So like. Yes, the particular people are vulnerable. In this system, prostitution exists because of bad economic conditions. Right. And just like, <laughs> you know, really, it's very similar, frankly, to what we were talking about before about women using indirect power, which is to say, uh, it's not so much that I want to condemn the use of indirect power. Mm-hmm. What I want to condemn is a, economical and politi- a political and economical system that requires that. Right. So what I want... I don't think it should be required that people should have... have to choose this. The idea that there's this very high-end call girl who's very wealthy and who is a very sex-positive person and enjoys having sex with people and that's how she makes her living. Mm -hmm. 
I will be honest with you. I'm not sure I believe that that's that that like totally uh, and, exists. But that's not what I'm that's right. not what I'm worried about. And if that's one percent of the prop of the that profession, which yeah. my guess is it's three percent at most. Right. Like. We're not talking about the profession as a whole. Right. That's, that's, that, that's right. kind of like the pastors who are indicted because, oh, they make $300,000 a year. Yeah. That's not the vast majority of <laughs> right. pastors. Right. The big problem with ministry is not overpayment of pastors. Right. Um, so anyway, so I do think that both of these, I think the scripture teaches ambivalence towards women having power. Mm-hmm. But women have used sex and sexuality in different ways to get power. And... I, I don't know what the conclusion is other than um, I think that the kingdom, you know, the coming kingdom, what we want, what we, the kind of thing that we want and as Christians to make the world like is where that's not necessary and where you don't have to do indirect things to achieve power that everyone is treated with dignity um, regardless of gender. And I think that all of these stories, even with the good and the bad, sort of illustrate that, that social problem that we're still trying to, trying to fix. Yeah. And with that, I would also say that we use, part of the gospel is we use our resources for the good of others. I yeah. mean, that is one of the stories that, hey, you can heal the blind, you heal the blind. You can, you have food to give away, you give it away. You have money to support a better economy, you support a better economy. Yeah. And that is always about the other, and if you would not choose this for yourself, why would you choose this for someone else? Right. All right. Well, I think that's pretty good. Um, um, so this is a medium dark topic. Um, down the road, we're going to talk about some of the metaphors um, um, that are used, uh, and we're going to talk. And before that, we're going to talk about rape. So we're still kind of continuing in sort of the the darkness of uh, uh, sex in the Bible. But stay tuned because in December we're going to talk about sex with angels. Right, and that fixes so keep, everything. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a up, it's a uplifting. Right. right. All right, so um, um, and that's that'll that'll wrap it up for now. So uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>